G'day and welcome to episode 36 of the Bradley J Driver Experience. It's been an absolute pleasure the past 35 and I'm excited for today's episode. We've got a man who brings something new to the experience. He's an intelligent business and sales training mind. Um, if you're watching the video, I'm sure you can see in the background there the IRS, ISR training banners. Um, this gentleman's name is Ryan Tuckwood. He's coming here from the Gold Coast, Australia and I believe, if I'm correct, a, a past history in England, which we'll have a little bit of a chat about, but just a very good guy with a sharp business mind. Mr. Ryan Tuckwood, how are you, brother? Yeah, Bradley, mate. I'm, I'm fantastic. Thanks for the intro. Um, I'm doing doing really well. Um, and there's a lot of people that are going through some tough times at the minute, um, which is which is hard to see. But um, yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're going exceptionally well. I'm feeling good. Um, the Gold Coast, there's no better place to be in winter. Um, what a, yeah. It's like an English summer's day. So, uh, mate, yeah, I'm doing really good. Thank you. 100%. That's good to hear. It's, um, it's funny, you know, I always like to share a little bit about the reason behind having a certain guest on the podcast. And for you, you were a recommendation. So um, a good mate of mine, which many of the listeners heard the story of Gourmet, the wine brand, um, the, we like to call it the fine wine brand that's in <laughs> the market here based out of Wollongong, um, my good friend Ty Grieve and his story. And we sat down and Ty and I, probably the first time we actually caught up and actually had a chat, we sat down and we spoke about business and I was keen to pick his brain to see where he learned because I think as a, you know, as a young guy um, who's creating something himself, I'm always keen to hear how others are learning and developing and, and who their mentors are and he, he could not say a bad word about you, mate. He, he said very nice things and I, I can see he's got a lot of knowledge from you and been able to lean on you for some really big advice. So he spoke very highly of you and your business and he told me about um, the Shark Tank experience that you guys had for ISR and I watched that and I liked the way your business is set up and, and the pitch that was delivered and started to watch more and more of your content and I can see why you guys are having the success that you are. You just seem like very level-headed and, and intelligent characters. So um, I congratulate you on that. Um, but I'm just very keen to hear your story. Where did it all begin? Um, yeah, for, firstly, appreciate that. Ty, Ty's a legend. And um, I just wish that um, in my younger years, I, I had that foresight, you know, that sort of drive, because I, I definitely didn't, which might take us nicely into where it does begin. Um, so my my background has been well publicized because because our our story, if you will, the, the, the emergence of what we now call, hang on the other way, Swish, um, which is selling with integrity, selling honestly. Um, that kind of came out of a frustration in the sales world. Um, I, I'm a mechanical maintenance engineer by trade. I was a, um, in that industry um, on the tools for, for eight years in the UK. So no sales background, no business background, um, no ambition to be in, in business and certainly didn't want to be a, a cheesy salesperson. You know, um, there is a stigma in the industry. And um, I got to the age of 27, um, which to a lot of your listeners might seem really old. Um, and, uh, and I had my quarter life crisis, um, as we do. And I started to think that maybe there was, there was more out there for me and I wasn't quite fulfilling my potential. And um, I decided to give everything up. Um, that included um, leaving a, a house that I owned, um, an ex-girlfriend that I'd been with for five years, um, a dog um, that, I, that I loved, Siberian Husky. And uh, decided to jump on a plane and move to the other side of the world um, and wound up um, initially in Sydney. I lived in, in Manly for a, for a while, beautiful Manly, as every good backpacker should. Yeah. And, um, uh, and then I realized it gets cold down in Sydney. So I actually, I traveled up the coast, um, the east coast of Australia and worked my way down and got to the Gold Coast and just fell in love with this place pretty quickly. Um, 
but my, my challenge probably was that I could only find work in, in sales. It was that I could only find work in a call center. Um, I was adamant that I wasn't going to go back into engineering and um, I ended up working in a, in a cold call center, $300 a day. Um, I had to find out in 90 seconds if somebody had fifteen to $25,000 in their bank account. And um, I was getting told to, to piss off in no uncertain terms about 295 times a day. So um, yeah. that was quite a demoralizing journey. Um, and, and, and that high levels of rejection um, and, and abuse, really, let's, let's put it in layman's terms, high levels of abuse over the phone when you believe you're a nice person, um, it starts to grate on you and it starts to hurt. And um, that, I guess, would be the start of this journey. And um, I'm sure it will come out during this chat of um, how I ended up being a sales coach, you know? You know, I, I love that because I think it's so true. Sales is, you know, I've, I've spoken to a, I've, I've been blessed, you know, at 24 years of age, I've been able to sit down and chat with some really successful business people that have come out of Wollongong, funnily enough, and, and to sit down and to listen to them. And, you know, whether you're building, whether you're selling to a degree or whether you're doing something else, sales is kind of involved in everything. Most things you have to negotiate, most things you have to pitch, whether it's an idea or a product um, or something you're trying to get from other people. Sales is kind of almost an everyday skill that's necessary in our lives now. And yeah. I think that's why it's so important what you guys are doing and what the Swish movement is. And, you know, as, as we was talking about before we come on air, I, I was in real estate. And that's one thing that I really found hard was I went from being a PT, I was all about health and fitness and lifestyle and, and all that sort of stuff to, okay, I need to find a career that I can develop and spend many years in. And real estate has the attraction of, you know, potentially some very good money. And I found myself in that business at 20, but I still remember more than anything that first week that I had that job and I was bumping into people and they'd say, how's the gym going? I was like, well, actually I've gone into real estate. And the same thing was said by every single person, don't turn into a greasy real estate agent. And it become immediately present that there's this real issue with sales because I don't know if it's, the, the previous training or the old training methods that have been passed down or um, I guess used throughout, you know, multiple industries and avenues within sales that give it that agenda. I don't know whether it's the look, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but people just seem to have a problem with car salespeople and also real estate agents. And so my goal was to set out and, you know, I like the eye and swish integrity was to keep that integrity throughout the course of my career and I worked really hard at that and I had to become, I guess, okay with the fact that I was probably going to miss a lot of business because mm. I was more honest than most. Um, but I knew in the end it, it would mean I won, you know, in the yeah. end, in the long run, I would, I'd end up doing better because I was able to stay in the business. I would be able to stay in the business for longer with greater integrity, which eventually, yeah. um, you know, bad deals catch up to you and the good ones, start to make some traction and start to create some, some noise in the industry. So talk to me about emerging from those sales roles. You obviously get to a point where you start to realize you're pretty good at this because you don't become a sales trainer without being good at sales. So when do you start to notice that you're actually taking to this and that hold on sales could be for me? Yeah. Um, I think, I guess just to, to your point there as well around um, the, the stigma um, of the industry, like I think it's merited. Like a, a lot of it, we get annoyed by people going, oh, you're a person, but there's there's so many people over the years that have that have made that made that a real thing, and I and I found that as well. So 
when was the point I realized I was good at it? And I, I didn't want to. I, I'm, in, I'm in this industry kicking and screaming initially, right? So if you can imagine, um, and I'm an introvert by nature, and it won't come across in recent things that you see about me speaking on stage, touring, um, and, and it won't come across in this, this interview right now. But even just two years ago, start of 2018, just before Shark Tank, I had a debilitating fear of public speaking. I had social anxiety challenges. Um, so you put me into that environment and you make me make loads of cold calls a day and give me loads of abuse that, that cuts into you eventually. And, um, so where was my turning point? My turning point was what I call my crisis point where, um, I'm sleeping on a bathroom floor, um, on a lilo on the gold coast on a, on a pool floaty. And I've got 31 cents to my name. Um, and I'm 21st out of 21 people in the sales floor. So I'm the worst person in that call center. And, um, one night that, that, uh, Lilo or the pool floaty um, popped on me. It was about two o'clock in the morning. I'm laying there in a pitch black um, bathroom and it pops and I just sink to the floor and I'm laying there going to myself, what am I doing? Like I've got no money. I hate this industry. I hate my job. I'm going nowhere. Um, and when we, when we have those moments, we, we, we either, we sink or swim. Right. And then um, yeah. I quit. So I, I went in to work the next day and I quit. Now, my, my actual turning point, though, was when my, my sales manager at the time, who's now my, who's the co-founder of ISR, he looked at me directly and said to me, Ryan, I'm not letting you quit because you haven't even tried just yet. Um, and at this stage, I'm like three months in working my ass off and he's suggesting that I'm not even trying. So I, was, I wanted to punch him, firstly. Um, but what, what happened was he challenged me that day. He said to me, you can only quit when you've tried to master this over the course of 60 days, because it takes, as we, as many people now know, it takes 66 days for us to form a habit. 66 yeah. days is proven that um, if I started learning about sales, negotiation, body language, emotional intelligence, NLP, um, buying psychology of buying behaviors, if I did that for 60 days and I was still 21st out of 21 people, Jack said to me, I'll pay for your flight. And Alicia, your my now wife, um, I'll pay for your flights wherever you want in the world, but go knowing you gave this a really good go. I obviously had nothing to lose at that point. So um, I started to consume as much information as I could. Um, and it didn't take me 60 days. Within five weeks, I went from 21st to first. And I'm like, yeah. what the like my So it wasn't really that I, I sorted out and I just got better. I trained. Um, and then I realized, oh my God, sales is like engineering. There's a process. There's, a, there's an order of which you say things to other human beings and they make a buying decision based around how you said it and the order you said it. So I just had this huge penny drop moment in life. My communication skills just went through the roof. Um, and within 15 months, I was general manager of this call center. I had 47 people under my guidance. I, um, I did $334,000 in commissions in 2013. And I'm like, Amazing. holy shit, this is everything just changed for me. And it wasn't, I didn't love sales still. I still didn't love sales, but I loved the process. I loved that there was an order that I could follow. Um, and then on top of that, forget the money. The money doesn't make any difference when you get to an X, X amount of level, you know. But what I realized was I could have impact on people um, for, for, for the greater good. Like my, my dad's been really ill. He's had, he's had cancer since 2001. He, he hasn't been able to work. Uh, Mum and dad don't own a home. They rent. So I was able to send them money. I was able to support them for the first time ever. And I'm like, all because I say words in a different order. I'm now able to support my family. Um, and I'm not playing down what we train, but it's, it's not rocket science. Um, and, and then 
what we what I did realize though, the the more I kind of worked my way up within that organization, Jack had Jack had left the company. Uh, the more I started to see behind the scenes, new owners had come in, and they weren't looking after clients. It was not a, an integrity ethical run organization. It was all about making money, and it didn't sit well with me. Um, and in 2014, Jack and I broke away, um, uh, and and me and me and Jack had a conversation. He's like, "What do you want to do?" And I was like, "Well, I enjoy." I enjoy training people. By now I had 40, like I said, 47 people. I was constantly training new salespeople. I was taking people that were introverts that were going, sales isn't for me, sales is for the extroverts. And I was proving to them that anybody could learn these skills if they had the right mindset. And I'm like, I really like training people how to do this, but I want them to do it for the right reasons. And he said, so you want to be a sales trainer? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess so. Um, and I didn't know, I'd never owned a business before. Um, Jack had owned businesses before and um, he said, well, why don't we start a sales training organization? And that's where ISR came from. But it all came with the, with the mission of changing the perception of sales. It wasn't going to be any old sales training company. It was about creating um, authentic relationship-driven salespeople that just tell their truth better, that communicate and articulate the value of what they do better um, whilst maintaining high levels of integrity. And that's where ISR was born in late 2014, early 2015. I, lo- I love that because for, for me, that, that holds so much weight. I think it's funny, a mate of mine, you know, I've, because I was in real estate young, you sort of connected a lot of other young agents. And I was recently walking with a mate of mine who's a very similar personality to me. And I think I bumped into two of my clients within sort of half hour on a walk with two of my old clients. And he said to me, he goes, you're really tight with all your clients, aren't you? Like, I go up, give them a hug and a kiss, shake hands. We have a yarn. I sort of know about their life. They know about mine. And then we move on. And he goes, I never sort of, he said, I always knew you were great with relationships, but I didn't realize that you created such close connections to people. And one thing that I always found really, I guess, a real misunderstanding within the real estate industry, especially was um, there was always an emphasis on creating relationships with people, but it was creating a relationship to get a piece of business And then the relationship would fizzle out. I think there's a misconception between relationships and connections. And I think connections Mm -hmm. are super important. So I love what you talk about and and it really can change your your whole life as a sales, you know, as as someone who sells for a living when you learn that and when you understand that. And I'm just blessed that I figured that out at a young age. And I think it comes from not necessarily being a salesperson in the beginning or, or learning that early on. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there's, there, there is a different, there's a huge difference between trying to build falsified rapport just to, to get your foot in the door and actually make a presentation to make a sale and just treating everybody how they should be treated anyway. So like I live by, I live by the philosophy that you should live your life. Like the person could, that could change it is the next person that you meet always like the next person that's standing next to you, introduce yourself to people at bus stops and lifts. Like you, you don't know who I know. I don't know who you know. Um, but if you just treat everybody with ultimate respect, respect, there's opportunities all around us. And it's not like you're using it to get that opportunity, but you will never miss an opportunity when it's there. Um, the amount of people that have got great ideas, great businesses that they, they don't even get off the ground, not that they fail, they don't even get off the ground because they don't communicate it well enough to other people yeah. because they don't know how to create a, a genuine relationship where somebody wants to listen to it. That's the yeah. key. So it's all, it's all well and good having a great business, a great idea, but if nobody wants to hear you, you explain it, nobody ever knows about it, nobody buys it, and without sales, business fails. 
So um, it's a, it's, it's an interesting concept relationships and rapport and what's what rapport to one person is not rapport to another. So we've got to be able to read people at the same time. Definitely. That's exciting. And so we're talking six years in business now and yeah. shark tank shark tank was two years ago. Uh, yeah. 2018. Yeah. So at what point in the business? So you've built, built for four years or yeah, you built for four years and then you make a decision that it's time to then to head to that show where does that decision come into play? Because obviously there's, you're always looking at expansion, but at what point yeah. do you decide that you look towards external investment to expand in, in greater reach as opposed to just continue on the path that you are? Um, yeah, p- people love this part of the story because the reality is it, 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 didn't, it didn't come into our conversation. Um, I remember late 2017, um, Jack approached me and he said, what do you think about going on Shark Tank? Now, I'm a big fan of Dragon's Den, which is the UK version. Yeah. Um, he said, what do you think about going on Shark Tank? And my initial response was, why? Uh, we'd, at that stage, we'd already coached nearly 3,000 people. We'd placed 2,500 people into work through the, the sales recruitment model that we had. Um, and I'm like, we're growing at a decent rate. We've got a great reputation. Why would we risk it by going on a TV show that if we don't get an investment, which is the sale on the show, if you don't get the sale, we're supposed to be sales trainers. If we can't sell, then we're going to fail miserably on TV. Um, anyway, the crux of it was that Jack said to me, well, the bottom line is we've already been accepted. So he wasn't asking me if I wanted to go on it. He'd already applied um, and we'd already been accepted to go on. So he was basically telling me. So you remember as well, I'm, as I said earlier, I'm an introvert. So I didn't, the idea of putting me into a shark tank and standing in front of five of Australia's brightest minds is just so foreign to me and stupid. Why would I step out of my comfort zone that far? Um, so I, I mean, Jack obviously then planned for it. So it was March, 2018 that it was filmed. Um, I, I decided all the way up into it that, um, Jack, you do it. You're the extrovert. This is your arena. You go in, um, you film your math, you'll smash this. Um, and uh, the closer it got, the producers kept saying, Ryan, we really think both of you should go on because the, um, the more, if there's two people, it doubles your opportunity of creating a connection with the sharks. Yeah. But I'm just like, I can't get over my fear of public speaking. And I said, nah, I ain't going. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Um, until about a week out, I changed my mind. Um, I had a few mentors suggest to me it would be a good idea. But by then, I left it too late because you have to do police checks and you have to do psychiatric testing. Okay. Um, and I didn't get a chance to do that. But um, up until that point, Jack and I had planned for probably about eight to 10 weeks, we'd rehearsed the presentation. We knew you had 90 seconds to do your pitch. Um, we've got what we teach is a 10-step negotiation ladder. Um, and we just followed that ladder to a T. Um, so what tonal deliverance, timing, questions, transitions, control, authority, yeah. testimonials. It was all in there. It was all constructed into 90 seconds. Um, and then Jack, then, so we fly down to Sydney. Um, Jack goes in. I have to stay outside in this gazebo. And it was a gazebo. It was pissing it down with rain. And uh, I'm there with my wife in this gazebo sitting on this plastic chair. And about 40 minutes goes by and Jack's still not out. And they said, like, if it goes to a decision and you get some offers, Ryan, you'll go to the back of the studio. You'll discuss it with Jack. He'll go back in and he'll let them know what we want to decide. Um, uh, 40 minutes passes. And then all of a sudden this runner comes running into the gazebo and says, Ryan, the Sharks want to meet you. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you're going into the tank. They've, if they've said... If there's a 50% decision, uh, 50% business owner, they want to meet both parties. And I'm like, shit, um, I haven't done my police checks. That's all I go through my head. I'm like, how can I get out of this? 
Um, so I, then they started running me and they're putting a microphone on my, uh, my trousers. They're putting makeup on me as I'm running towards the, the film studio. And, uh, and then they, they go, all right, get ready. I'm going to walk around the corner. Jack's there. Um, and he's going to tell you what's happened. So at this point, I still have no idea what's happened. So I walk around the corner and Jack's there and the cameras, there's a boom over my head. There's cameras everywhere. And they said, so you got four offers. So Jack smashed it. You got four offers. I'm like, awesome. But now you're going to go into the tank and you're going to negotiate on what's happening. I'm like, so I'm going in as well. And this is the first time now I'm a butterfly. has got a red rash on my neck. Just horrible scenario. Um, and we got in there and then we spent over another hour or so in there. Over, over to, you see 12 minutes on TV, but it was about two, just over two hours in total um, in the yeah, tank. Wow. So, okay. But yes, it's intense. Because it's a, that's a question I had because you watch the show and you go, okay, these are obviously very smart. Like the sharks are very smart people. They're very, you know, they've had huge success in their respective businesses and in their lives. Can understand that they can make a decision pretty quickly. But I'm thinking, yeah. 12 minutes. That's that's really yes, that- quick to make a decision on something you're putting some money into. And I thought yeah. that maybe there might have been a process post show where there are conversations that then lead to a meeting in a week or two's time. But it literally happens that day. Is that the case? Uh, no, no. So there is, so there's loads of due diligence afterwards as well. So yeah. we, we were very aware when, when Jack and I were negotiating in the little hallway and um, where that fake shark tank thing is yeah. that you actually see the, the, the cinemagraphic sharks going past. Yeah. Um, we were very aware that nobody in the history of Australian shark tank had secured three sharks. Um, so we wanted to make that our aim. Um, but then we were also cautious that we could lose all of them. Um, so yeah. it was a, what you don't see is Jack and I arguing a little bit as well. They didn't actually air that um, where I'm like, we should go for three. And he's like, we could lose all of them. And it's yeah, yeah. It was a bit of back and forth. So then we go back in there and we negotiate. And in the end we do, we get Steve, Andrew and Glenn, they come on board. Um, they've since increased their stake in the business as well. So they're, they're two years down the line. They're, they're extremely committed. Um, but that was filmed in March. It aired in June and we got the money in September. So from March to September was a, a six month due diligence period where okay. for want of a better phrase, they just ripped us to pieces. They went through my, myself, Jack, both our backgrounds. They went through the business. They spoke to clients. They tested the online training program to make sure it got results. Um, and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's wow. definitely, not, it's definitely not 12 minutes. It's not even two hours. It's about six months worth of, um, prove yourself, which is why most deals fall over over 90% of deals fall over post show. Yeah, that's, I was going to ask that, whether you knew the statistics, because I think it says a lot, and, and I'll congratulate you both on this, it says a lot about your business to go through that, I guess, that rigorous testing and that due diligence period, um, shows that you're doing some pretty big stuff. So I, I congratulate you guys on that. It's, it's a weird moment though, Riley, as well. I remember sitting, sitting in a pub in Sydney um, after, after we got, the, well, so I'm, I'm naive business owner, right? So imagine this, so they stop filming and I think we go behind the cameras and they give us the money. Like that's in my head. I'm like, well, brilliant. They just give us, how does this work? Deal or no deal, the check comes out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so we're in the pub afterwards and there was a moment where we're both having a beer and I'm, and, and I got quite emotional cause I'm like, how do we fail now? How do yeah. we fail? Like we've just, we've got three of Australia's most significant entrepreneurs ever um, that have, that have, Queen, Steve Baxter was Queensland chief entrepreneur at the time. So like the top, top dog in Queensland. Um, how do we fail? And, it was, and it's quite a real moment when people remove your excuses. Um, and if you talk in, in business, a lot of us don't ask for help. 
Um, in sales, very few people ask for help because we don't want to be salespeople. And I think the underlying reason for that is because you know there's an answer out there. But as soon as you're given the answer, we remove your excuses. And people like victim mentality. We like to have an excuse for why we're not achieving what we're achieving. Um, and at this point, we had no excuses. And especially when they went through everything and they, they then ripped our business up and they went, okay, we recommend this. We're, we can't tell you what to do, but we're going to challenge your thinking. And we'd be stupid not to listen to these guys, right? Um, we, we tripled our, we increased our revenue, sorry, 300% in the first 18 months since they come on board. Wow. Uh, and that's not by accident, right? And it's also, yeah, they've got credibility. They gave us leverage, but they've, they've given us some amazing systems and processes within the organization as well. And just got us thinking bigger. Um, Glenn Richards always says, my job is to do two things, is to challenge your thinking and raise your line of sight, get you thinking bigger, looking up and out, not down and in. And he's definitely done that. Can I ask a question? How hard is it? Because I think what people listening will, will not understand or not realize is as a salesperson, we all have an element of ego because mm. results give us a, a little bit of credibility behind what we do. But as a business owner who had four years of success prior, you know, you, you know, for lack of a better term, as you said before, you mastered that negotiation process and that sales training process throughout those last um, months and years in the call center. And then you get to a point where you feel like you've, you've made a success of this business. Now you've got three guys who are investing and they're telling you to change some things. How much do you have to check your ego, take a step back? And how hard is that to do at that point in your business? Yeah, I think it's, it's an awesome question. Um, I think we've got to be checking our ego all the time anyway, right? If you're, if you're the smartest one in the room, you're in the wrong room um, is, a, is a common sort of phrase. But um, I can't speak on behalf of Jack. But for me, I didn't, find it, I didn't find it very hard because I've never really seen myself as a business owner um, because I don't, I'm not a natural entrepreneur. So I'm a very good employee. I'm very good at taking direction. I'm very good at being told what to do. What I've not been very good at, at is making decisions and being a, um, I'm a good, I'm a good leader. Um, I think I can inspire people to take action um, from an ethical standpoint and to do the right thing. But um, I've had to learn to be a business owner. Jack was the opposite. Jack is a great business owner, great manager. Um, he's a natural entrepreneur. So um, without putting words in Jack's mouth, I'd probably say the entrepreneurial types of people would struggle more so with taking that mm. direction than I did. Um, so I think we just have to be aware that there's, there's, there's many different ways to do things. Um, I mean, Steve, Andrew and Glenn don't agree on everything. So this, that's what probably made it harder is that it wasn't just you've got to change this. It's Steve could say, hey, have you thought about this? And then Andrew would go, no, don't do that. Don't listen to Steve. And you're like, well, who do I listen to? <laughs> It's, um, so we're all strong characters who have strong opinions. Yeah, exceptionally strong. So it is about, it's about trusting your gut, right? This is our arena is sales. Um, and they're, and they're very clear on staying in their lanes. Um, so Steve's obviously tech orientated. So for our SaaS products, our, our online on demand Netflix for sales Academy, um, switch Academy, Steve's great for tech and scale. Um, Glenn Richards is took, green cross vets from one to hundreds so he knows a thing or two about rolling up businesses and scaling at pace and um, and then andrew banks was in recruitment so he knows a thing about a uh, thing or two about creating world-class culture um, and getting buy-in and making sure everyone's on the same page so they've all got their own little assets and we have to pick and choose what we take from each one of them um, and then and then there has to be a, a time where you do trust your own judgment as well so the answer is 
it's, it's, it was easy for me to take direction. Um, but what I had to learn to do sometimes was go, I actually disagree with all three of you. This is the decision that we're going to make. Um, yeah. so, and so, so I think most people would dis, would instantly have their defenses up. But if you're going to go on a show like that and you're going to raise capital, there's dumb money and there's smart money. And um, we went for smart money. Um, we went for their, their minds, their guidance, and their mentorship. So if we didn't start taking their advice, then more fallers, you know. Um, and, and I think we've done it touch wood so far and um, very, very well. That's good to hear. So one yeah. thing that, that surprised me dramatically with you, and you said it a fair bit already in this episode, is you, you struggled with the public speaking or the confidence to go out and do something like that. I remember watching the show and the first, the first bit of content after I spoke to Ty that I watched on you guys was that shark tank, that 12 minutes. Yeah. And as you said, Jack was super outgoing, real extrovert. And then I seen you come into the piece in the last bit and I was like, this guy speaks really well. I was kind of confused as to why you weren't there initially um, in the beginning as well. And then the more I watched, I'm like, this guy speaks so well. And he's such a, like, you're such a compelling character. And I don't say that to piss in your pocket. You, you've got a really good energy when you speak and when you present. And I was confused as to why you weren't out there for that pitch. But now that makes sense that you say that and you, and you give the backstory. And I guess a lot of people are in a similar position. Personally, I've, I've always been a real extrovert. So I auctioneered and I was always at school. I was the guy that got up and you know, led the debate or done the public speaking or, or made the announcement. I've always been confident with that. That's my personality. But yeah. a lot of people ask me how I overcome it. I've not really overcome it. It's just who I am. Yeah. So do you have sure. a piece of advice for, because I reckon probably 90% of the population is in the same boat that you were where they struggle with that. Yeah, I think well, well two biggest fears in 2020, death and public speaking um, and public speaking, just overtook death as the biggest fear. So people would rather die than public speak, um, which is, <laughs> is, and I would have fallen into that category. So I guess you need, like you need a reason, you need a why to do anything, right? Um, and I remember it would have been late 2017, early 2018. So leading up towards Shark Tank, we brought on a, um, a creative um, director and she said to Jack and I that we need to create personal brands. We need to be more out in the, in the market we need to be grabbing our phone um, and putting short videos out there. And I just like, that gave me an anxiety, right? Um, and, and I didn't want to do it, but um, she forced me to do it. She kept hammering me the message of how powerful it is. She showed me some stats around engagement and followers and how that can then grow the business. And I started to do it. I did a couple, felt really uncomfortable. And I remember I did one and it was about how to wow your clients. And um, Actually, I was at an appointment in Brisbane. So Jack and I started a real estate investment company as well. And I was at an appointment in Brisbane. Um, and I went to a, a park and a car park. And it was a dead car park. And I got out of my car and I started filming this um, video. And it probably goes for like 90 seconds, two minutes. And I got a message from somebody that I'd never spoken to before. I'd never met them before. Um, and they said, um, Ryan, I needed to hear that today. That was the exact message. I was about to quit my job. And it was the message that I needed to hear I went into work and I managed to get two sales that saved my job. Um, and I went home and me and my partner had been arguing, blah, blah, blah. I went into a bit of a story about the impact that one little video just had on them. And I didn't know this person. And I had this weird sort of feeling overcome me that I had that impact feeling again. And I thought, well, how many people are watching these videos that I don't even meet? That, that, uh, sorry, not that I don't meet. They never tell me that I'm impacting, but never tell me. And um, 
at that moment, my whole mindset changed. I'm like, I need to do this. If I've got, and bearing in mind, I've been in business at that stage for three years without putting any video content out there. Um, I was hiding behind the camera. Um, and I'd realized that I was actually being selfish by doing it. Um, and, and it was one of my, one of my coaches, so Harry Singer, who works with um, some of the best in the world, speaks on stage with Tony Robbins, Robert Kiyosaki, Richard Branson. He's a public speaking coach to the stars. He's my public speaking coach. Um, and he said to me, Ryan, if you've got a true message and you're, you know that you're, you're impacting people um, and you're serving, then you're doing them a disservice by not learning these skills um, because anybody can learn to public speak like anybody can learn to sell. Um, and, uh, and at that point, I engaged him um, and we went on a bit of a journey. Um, and I'll, I'll put this into perspective for your listeners. In, in January 2018, we did our first live event and I opened the door to this event. There was three people turned up. And uh, I remember turning to Jack and he said, how many are there? I said, three. And he said, okay, all right, it is what it is, Jack wanted hundreds of like three people. And I said, I can't do it. And I didn't do it. January, 2018. I, I actually, I sent Jack out. I said, you do it, mate. This is yours. And, and I had the sweaty palms, red rash was back. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and I just, I just couldn't do it. So fast forward then to February this year, I just emceed for Jordan Belford in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, in front yeah, of 1100 yeah, people, two days in a row and absolutely loved it. Um, and the key, like sales, is to understand there is a process. Um, there is a way you walk on stage. Learn two things that Harry keeps saying to me is these are the these are the two things that you practice religiously: your intro and your outro. Master that first sixty seconds on stage because that's where you'll feel most uncomfortable. So, don't wait. Don't get up there and try and think about what you're going to say. Know those words. Learn. Get front and center anchor yourself, get comfortable, raise your head up, push your shoulders back and say the first words out of your mouth with confidence. But always, always make it three questions. So make it three questions. So you're commanding respect and authority from the crowd. So the questions can be, who here, who here thinks that? Whatever you want to ask, whatever industry you're in, who here thinks that real estate are cheesy salespeople? Okay, fantastic. Who here thinks that drinking more water a day is going to keep us more productive at work? It doesn't matter what the question is, yeah. but you're going to say, who here thinks that? Who here thinks the opposite? And then, so you would go, who here thinks this? Who thinks that? And then make your third question. Who thinks uh, that, re who, regardless of how many questions I'm going to ask today, you're not going to raise your hand. <laughs> and now you get, you get a little bit of a, a, jaff, a laugh, sorry, you get a bit of a joke in there and it breaks the ice and it will just make you feel totally comfortable. So master your intro. Master the last words out of your mouth. Don't, don't have a, so, um, all right, guys. Well, if you want to, if you want to reach out, you can, I'll be available. Um, I'll be hanging, sign off with authority. Guys, that's it from me. Remember, sell with integrity and sell honestly. Walk off. Yeah. That's it. Awesome. Have a final note. So, I mean, that's really simplifying Harry's training over the last two years. <laughs> but um, they're, they're two, two big takeaways. So I guess the first thing is to understand that anybody can learn it. It's not an innate ability. You're not alone if you hate public speaking. But let me be that, that um, story for you, if you will, that, that you can come out of your comfort zone. And now I crave it. I miss it. Obviously, going through COVID right now, I miss public speaking. I cannot wait to get on a stage in front of five, ten thousand 10,000 people now. Um, and my family are like, who are you? That is yeah. so strange. Um, so that's it's, uh, all, it's all some personal development though, isn't it? Yeah. And I think I, I had a reason to do it. 
I, I, and, that, and that's the key. Like you can't just say, I want to be a public speaker without, without having a burning desire to do it because otherwise every time you get up there and you make a mistake, which you will, um, you just won't do it again. You'll go back into your comfort zone. I had a reason to want to keep on improving. Um, I thoroughly believe in what we're creating here. Um, obviously, we call it the Swish movement um, and creating those, that authentic um, relationship type sales person. And like I do a keynote that's, I call it sales a noble trait. And the reason I wanted to stand on Jordan Belford straight, uh, stage is not because I'm a massive straight line persuasion or Wolf of Wall Street fan. Far from it. And that's the total opposite to what we stand for, um, obviously. Yeah. But what an opportunity to share this message, to share in front of a thousand people two days in a row that maybe just think about sales a different way. And we want to try and change their perception. So one thing that Harry said to me, um, and this might be good for your listeners to understand in, in life, is Ryan, don't train when you're ready. Train to be ready so you never miss an opportunity again. So don't train when you're ready because you'll never be ready. Train to be ready so you never miss an opportunity again. Because I said to him, well, I don't get any opportunities to speak. Jack does it all. And he said, Ryan, there's opportunities around you every single day. You are subconsciously pushing them away in sales, in business, in relationships, in life, because you're not prepared. So start training before you think you need it. Because then when an opportunity, guess what? And then 2019, I did 188 speaking gigs. Are you telling me all those? That's it. Yeah. Just That's unbelievable. Every couple of days, I was doing something. And were, were those opportunities not there in 2018? Of course they were. I just wasn't ready, so I kept pushing them away. Um, I wasn't prepared, sorry, not ready. So, um, yeah, don't train when you're ready. Train to be ready. You know, that's that's the funny thing. I'm going to go back to and reflect on something you said about making that video and getting that message. You know, that's the reason I started the podcast because I think conversation is incredibly powerful. I know I, I can pick chats throughout my 24 years of life that have changed the way I thought or pushed me on the correct path or guided me and, and allowed me. And, and there's always those chats that we go back and we reflect on throughout our lifetime, whether it's with family, friends, or people that influence us in our everyday lives. And I recognize the power of conversation. Now, I said it before, I was extremely confident public speaking. I remember being 10 years old and playing Jesus at the end of year assembly at school for a full two hours and it was just like there was ice in my veins I didn't feel a thing I was just stoked wow. but I still remember sitting down for episode four on my podcast ready to film and I wanted to share the story of my personal health journey with my cystic fibrosis and I sat and mate it took me five goes <laughs> to get the intro out because I yes. me me realizing that my family were going to listen to this and I speak very openly with my family, but realizing that it was going to be emotional for them to hear for mm. me, the emotion changed the way that it felt. And all of a sudden I was a bag of nerves. There was no one around me. I was in my apartment by myself, but talking about something that I live with every day and all of a yeah. sudden it changed. And then I had to learn to become really comfortable with sharing my story. So I think we all go through the little challenges. It's just in different yeah. areas and at different stages of life. And, and funnily well, enough, it's not a hurdle I think I thought I'd have to overcome, but I did. And, and I'm glad I did because I've been able to share that on other people's shows now too. I, th I think that's a really powerful message because you, you have no idea how your story could impact somebody. Um, like, and if you, if you share it to, to have impact, it will probably come across the, right, the wrong way. But if you share it just because I'm being vulnerable um, and I'm sure there's other people out there that are also 
wanted to share a story. Like we, we work with, um, hang on, where is it? These guys here living, if you can see them. Yeah. How do yeah. I do it? Yeah. So, um, like I had Sam Webb, um, and I'm going to interview Luke Foster as well from there, the psychologist. Um, and, uh, like we have no idea how people are feeling when they're going through certain um, anxieties or depression or, or any sort of mental um, illness. And, um, just hearing one line, and I like what you said there, conversation is powerful, right? One line that we might say in this whole podcast could trigger something positive for, for somebody else. And you never know when it's going to come out. But one thing's for sure, if you don't say anything, it will never help them. Right. And, that's, and that's the beauty of what you, you've created here. And even if we, if we relate it to a, set from a, to a sales perspective, um, I saw a direct correlation with my sales career and my sales figures going up the more I opened up, the more I spoke about sleeping on a bathroom floor, having 31 cents, hating sales. I spoke about my dad's illness. I spoke about not affording sushi between me and my wife in our early um, days of going out together. Guess what? The more I open up, the more they open up, the more information I find about them, the deeper the relationship, the more I can tailor my presentation to them and therefore create a client. So there is a direct correlation with that anyway. And I think we just have to be really comfortable taking our corporate hat off, not yeah. being, not being what they expect us to be. Yeah, we can be, we can be polished, but we can still be real being telling people about your, your dog and your family doesn't mean that you're unprofessional just means that you're a real human being. Um, and that's why, that's why COVID was so good. Everyone's doing zoom from home and you get to show a little bit of your character for the first time. you your kid runs in or your dog runs in and makes a noise halfway through your professional corporate presentation. Who cares? We're all human beings. Um, and that's the, that's the one common denominator that we have. I think a lot of people are scared to be vulnerable. 100%. And, and I think the moment, like I realized, and, and one thing I worked on is in this past year is just being more, more open with people and sharing more because I, I realized that me sharing more, like you said, allowed other people to feel comfortable sharing more around me. And I've had, mm. you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a walk and coffee thing. So I probably go for two walks and two coffees a day. And I quite often get friends or just people that I've not, I've known for five minutes, join me on those walks and they tell me things and they're like, I've never told anyone that. Yeah. I just feel comfortable sharing with you. And I'm like, for me, that's, that that's so powerful. That means more to me than anything now. That power to be able to positively influence someone, and or, yeah. or change someone's day, or make someone's day, or change someone's life in in the smallest of ways. Um, and it comes off the back of I think sharing first, mm -hmm. and that's why I always you know I I done an episode. So I'm not super religious, or um, I don't um, practice um, faith in in any you know strict way but I recently filmed an episode. A few people wanted to hear a spiritual episode or an episode on faith. And I filmed with a guy that I went to school with, who's a pastor of a church and has an incredible story. And at the start of the episode, I thought this is a really taboo topic. Um, how do I get people to sit back, relax and allow themselves to feel comfortable listening? And I just realized that I'd never shared with anyone before, but my family's super close, even though my parents are divorced, they're great mates. And I still remember being a 12 year old kid. And for the first time in my life, not knowing whether dad got home from work safe or mum got home from work safe at night and whether they were in bed. Okay. And so for me, I was like, what do I do? I'm just going to say a prayer. So every night I started to say a prayer that just made me feel content going to yeah. bed that my family was going to be okay. Funnily enough, it's just become a little like traditional ritual that literally for the last 10, 11 years of my life, I've done that same thing every night because it just makes me feel content. 
and sharing that with people, everyone was like, it actually allowed us to feel comfortable listening or feel Mm -hmm. like we could then talk or relate to what you said, because it's, it's one of those topics. And for a lot of people, these performance and these work areas are something they're quite vulnerable about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that story, by the way. Um, I think it's, there's something quite cathartic in, um, in sharing something for the first time ever. Um, I, I talk often a lot uh, about your 60 second legacy. Um, and, you, and you said there you get an opportunity to, um, to, to influence or inspire or impact, whatever, whichever way we want to frame it. Um, every single day as a human being, especially if you're in sales, I mean, even if you're doing cold call outreach every single day, and you're, you're speaking to 20, 50, or 300 people a day like I had to. Um, that's 300 people a day that you get to have a positive impact on their life. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. What is, what is your 60-second legacy? Like when, when people stop listening to this podcast and when we close this Zoom down, for 60 seconds, you're thinking something about me. I'm thinking something about you. What are they thinking about you? And I, I live my life like that. So whenever I meet somebody in a lift, I come out of a sales meeting or a normal meeting or or I've been at a barbecue in the 60 seconds that somebody leaves your presence. How have you left them? Are they inspired? Are they, are they, are they just like nothing? Um, and if they're nothing, then you've got, you've just missed your opportunity. So, um, uh, one of my, I'm writing a couple of books at the minute, but one of them's called 60 seconds legacy and it's based around that. I love that because I think that's almost should be everyone's motto when they wake up in the day is every interaction you go, I like how you said it, every interaction you go into because, and you said it earlier before, I remember saying to my, to my mates on Friday night, we went out and we had a little celebratory dinner to celebrate all of us kicking some career goals and they said, how's the podcast going? You're excited? And I said, I'm so excited because I just got this feeling that it could be any next human being that listens to this could change my life forever. It's got to be yeah. one person that comes across it and decides to listen and it changes yeah. the scope of the podcast, the scope of my life and the direction of everything I'm doing for the next 30 years. You never know. And I think if you go into every connection or interaction with human beings with that 60 seconds of integrity in the back of your head, mm-hmm. um, I think that's an awesome way to live life. Well, you know, uh, Harry Singer, so my public speaking coach, I flew him over here January this year before COVID um, from England. He's, he's based over in the UK. And on stage, he, he said something that I didn't, I didn't realize. Um, he never told me this before. This is even after I've engaged his services. And he said, he said to a room, we got uh, about 100 people in a room up in Brisbane um, for a, a one, one day of become a better public speaker training. Um, and he agreed to put that on on our behalf. And uh, he said, guys, a lot, a lot, Ryan doesn't even know this. Um, but he, because I said, as I introduced him, I said, look, I've been watching this guy for years. I've been following him, look up to him as a, as a mentor. Um, and he's been able to take me from here to here. And he said, what Ryan doesn't know is that I've been watching him for two years because I'm pretty fortunate with the speakers that I get to work with um, and the individuals that I share the stage with, with Tony Robbins and so on and so forth. And he goes, and I was watching Ryan. I was watching everything he did on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook. I saw that he's a family man. I watched every single one of his stories. Um, And the key to that is you never know who's watching you. And he said, so Ryan thinks he chose me to work um, with him. He goes, he didn't. I chose Ryan as one of my students. And I'm like, holy, and I got goosebumps when he said it from stage. And I'm like, who else is watching you right now? Who else is listening to the podcast? And you have no idea. And you might, your episode, what are we, 36, 37, did you say? 36. Um, 36. And you might be going, ah, oh, it's all right. I'll just do 14. We'll call it a day. 
that 41st episode might have been the one that was going to get listened to. Yeah. Um, and you just never know who's listening. It's like that photo. You, you see that photo that gets cycled around socials, that cartoon yeah. digging, and it's got the diamond or the gold just on the other side of that next, that next dig. And yeah. someone stops and walks away. I think it's, it's, there's something to be said for persistence and continued persistence and, and in whichever way, shape or form you can, keeping your mindset in the right direction when you know that your purpose is aligned with what you want to achieve in life. Yeah, that's, that's important as well because it's, if you're living authentically as you are, right? You're not putting on a show. You're not faking it till you make it. You're not being somebody to some people and somebody else to others. If you're just the same person all the time to everybody and you're constantly obsessed with creating that 60-second legacy and you... You back it up. It's not, a, it's not just a 60 second legacy. It's a 60 day legacy. It's a 60 year legacy because a- anybody can make a winning first impression. But what do people think of you one month after and um, when you've sold them something? Are you still servicing them? Are you still treating them as you yeah. did when you brought them on board? And um, if you live your life like that, you don't have to worry about putting on a show. You just be a good person. And that's a really, really cheesy. And I'm not, I'm not religious. I'm not spiritual, but I've started to get more spiritual in my older age and I believe in karma and just doing right by people. And when you do that, opportunities start to present themselves. They definitely do. Hey, tell me one thing I love about your business is it's not just training, but it's the recruitment too. And I think it works really well. It makes sense. It makes sense to, to train people and then find their fit. You know what I mean? And, and make sure that they're headed in the right direction post training. Cause a lot of people, I've always found the issue with training seminars or with a lot of coaching systems is people go in, they leave with all these ideas, this inspiration, this new zest for what they do. And then they just don't know how to apply it or where to apply it. So I love your system. Was that always the system or has that developed over time? Um, I think it's, uh, we always joke that we're on ISR version 9.427. Like it's, it's forever evolving. I mean, in a nutshell, since Shark Tank, we actually, we, we, um, we changed, I'm not going to use the word pivot because I hate that word at the minute, but um, we changed um, from being a, a sales training recruitment agency to going all in as being a sales training organization. So we still have, we have induction programs for when you get new recruits um, and you can put them through there. There's like a 12 week induction program okay. um, depending on their experience levels. Um, but that's changed a lot. We used to do it face to face. And what we've realized over the years as much as it hits our ego, um, we love delivering face-to-face training, but it doesn't get the best long-term results. And you, you, you hit the nail on the head there by saying you get that, you get an external motivation, not an intrinsic motivation. And there's a huge difference between the two. So you're, you're 48 hours pumped um, and you're going to go and take on the world and you're going to close every single sale, every single person you talk to. Six months later, six weeks later, you've gone back to where you were because that's human nature. So the, the big change that we had roughly four years ago was we introduced um, digital, a digital version to our training. And as we've refined the user experience in there, um, we have weekly focus sessions. So every Monday from 8 to 8.30, you can jump in. There's a, an online community. Everybody in the world can jump into that one Zoom session. Um, and we do goal setting, reset, focus for the week. What are you going to achieve? Um, and really making sure that everybody is aligned and held accountable to what they say they're going to achieve. Um, then we do coaching webinars every single week with, with uh, every single month, sorry, with me personally. So they still get that interaction um, with me. They get coaching and they get hundreds of hours of other content. So it's changed from being a 
two-day wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, good luck with your job, to we're going to support you ongoing now for indefinitely. Um, and what that's really created is sustainable results, not just quick-fire um, results, you know. Well, I think it creates a discipline instead of a motivation. And, yeah. And, you know, that's one thing that I've always liked. Have you ever heard of Jocko Willink? Uh, no. Jocko Willink, very similar to like a David Goggins, ex-Navy SEAL, um, super motivational, inspirational guy. And he talks about that a lot. Jocko has an amazing podcast. If you've got a spare three and a half hours, I'd suggest listening to an episode. They're very yeah, okay. long. It takes you a little while to get through one. But he really talks about discipline over motivation because, you know, how often we've all done it, right? We all get that, you know, that little bit of motivation we've seen seen a photo of ourselves where we didn't exactly like how the rig was looking or we've seen something we've done in one area of our life and that instant motivation comes through and you want to get to the gym and start eating right and doing well. But the minute you just don't feel like doing that, you know, it's out the window. And yeah, I found for me, COVID was so beneficial because I actually built discipline in my routine and it started with small disciplines that then built and become more extreme and more extreme by the month or by the week. And I'm in a position now where I look back at myself three months ago and go, God, I was lazy. But now it just feels like, it just feels like second nature. It feels like what I do without thinking about it every day. And I love that. I guess you, you'd call it more support than discipline in, in your business model, but consistently giving people that content and that support, it makes the huge difference because I noticed I'd go to great example is, um, Eric, the yearly yearly event there in the Gold Coast for the real estate agents. Everyone leaves and everyone's got 20 new ideas. They, they rarely implement any. Sure. And I always found that to be the issue. So I, I think that's why you guys are having the success you are because people need accountability and consistent support. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the, the, the word is, we, we call it performance and accountability. Um, and for, for, for me, I'm an engineer, right? So systems are everything. Yeah. So um, I, I was fortunate enough to speak with Mark Boris in, in Perth in, in March, just, just after, literally I did Jordan Belford and Mark Boris in the same week. It was bloody amazing. Um, and Mark opened his whole keynote with um, systems breed freedom. Um, and I think where people go wrong is they assume because they've got so many systems in place that it actually constrains you and it, and it gets you and you don't have freedom. It does the complete opposite because it gives you creative freedom you know when you're doing business development. You know when you're doing administration. You know when you're working on your team. You know when you're doing sales. So you actually schedule time to be creative. Um, so, but then like anybody, I can give anybody these systems. I can tell you what to do in sales. But whether you stick to it or not is up to you. Um, and most people don't have an ability to do that. So if you know you can't stick to something, you've got to align with a company or somebody that has more discipline than you that can hold you accountable to doing that. Um, and that's all we created was people there going, Hey, enough of your crap. You told me you wanted to achieve this. So let's get going. Um, and that's why I think we've been um, relatively successful as well. Amazing. Hey, I'm going to let you go in a minute. I want to ask you two things before we head off. Um, I've spoken about it in a few of the business style interviews that I've done. I think whilst you've got, you know, it's been obviously really present in the last hour that we've been shooting this podcast, you have a set of amazing skill sets and you continue to develop your skills within your work life or within your professional life. I think there's a real underrated emphasis and I think it's getting better, but I think there's still a really underrated emphasis on your development as a human being outside of your professional life. 
Who is Ryan Tuckwood when he clocks off or before he clocks in every day? And I don't know if you clock off or clock in. You probably don't. I can imagine you're on the go all the time. But are there a few anchors within your life that allow you to perform consistently and feel great at work every day? Um, yeah, clock on and clock off. Um, one, um, I sat down with Glenn Richards, obviously one of our investors, and I, and I spoke to him about work-life balance. Um, and I asked him about it. How do you find it? Um, and he just looked me dead in the eyes and said, stop looking for it. It doesn't exist. There is no clocking on. There's no clocking off as in a, a balance. What you have is counterbalance. Um, so I now have counterbalance. I, I get in the office at 7.15, 7.30. I leave at 5.15, 5.30. And then from 5.30 till 8 o'clock is my family time. Um, so, so my anchor is um, my son, my, my 18-month-old son. The second I see him, everything else goes out the window. It doesn't matter how good or bad my day has been. The second I see him and he now says, Daddy, that's a great anchor for anybody. I'm not saying if, you, if you're looking for an anchor, go out and have kids. Um, but it is, it is definitely um, for me. And understanding that that's now my quality time. So being able to leave, leave the office, shut my computer, turn my, computer uh, turn my phone off, or at least move it out of the way until 8 o'clock. So I'll spend time with, with them, um, have dinner, um, shower Maverick, uh, my boy, and then, have, um, and then have a bit of time with my wife. And then 8 o'clock until midnight is back on again. Um, she knows that she knows that's the go. If I want to build the number one sales training company on the planet, I ain't doing it nine to five. Um, so there, there's a level of managing expectations of my network, um, and letting them know that this is how I work. And when I say network, my clients know that I'll reply to them after eight before midnight. So if they, if they message me at five, 6 PM, they're not getting a response because I've told them all that, that story. They're my daily disciplines. Um, who am I away from it? I'm, I'm, I'm no different. I, I, this, this business was built for people like me, um, for people that didn't want to be in sales, that, that hated the industry, that hated what it stood for and wanted to prove that it could be done a different way. So then what we teach is you don't have to change. You just live yourself on your, live your life authentically to being a good person. You're constantly representing your business and your, your, if you're an employee, you're a hundred percent representing your organization 24 seven, whether you like it or not. You're always, yeah. so all you've got to do is just remember that. Just be a good person. I can't be commanding integrity and ethics Monday to Friday and then outside of work be doing everything else against it, you know? So I, I, I don't know if there is a change. Like, like you said, I, I love what you said earlier, that when you go out, you meet your clients and you give them a hug and, and like they love you. They embrace everything that you're about because you're just you. I imagine you, you're still the same person 24-7. And I'm the same. Um, I go out and I'll see clients walking around, get recognized in certain places, which is a bit weird. Um, but um, secretly, we all do it. Of course we do. Um, and, uh, and I'm just me, just exactly the same. Um, I'm a father figure who loves sports, um, enjoys spending time with my family, but I'm always, always thinking about how I can create more impact for my family um, and clients as well. That's awesome to hear. Hey, I want to make sure that I actually think, and, and I say this, like I said, there's no need for me to piss in your pocket where, you know, we're not sitting face to face here across the computer screen. So I could easily end this interview and, and go about my day. But I think there's so much credit in saying this. And I think I, do, I can't, honestly, I can't, I can't sort of congratulate you enough on the person that you are and the way you come across. I can see how genuine and honest it is. And I've, I've listened to, you can imagine in a couple of years in real estate, the amount of training seminars we got pushed into I think you're so relatable and I think that's why you're going to continue to do amazing. And I'd highly suggest that whether 
you're in, I think in any form of, of work or life, you can really use some form of sales training. Um, even if it's just like Ryan's done for personal development of the way that you speak, the way that you connect with other individuals in your work life balance, wherever it may be. Um, I'd highly suggest that you head across and follow these guys. So what's the easiest way for people to stay connected with you and, and Jack at ISR? Um, LinkedIn, um, if you want on, on a personal level, if you want to connect with me, um, just reference that you listen to this, this podcast. Um, so just my, just my full name on there. Um, Instagram, um, if you want baby spam and you want to see loads of pictures of my baby and my dog, um, go on there. But otherwise, um, ISR, we're obviously across everything. So Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, I've got a podcast as well called The Swish Show. So The Swish Show. Um, watching, have a look in the back there. You can see it on the screen. Yeah, yeah. Come and uh, listen to some of that. Um, but yeah, it, it won't take long. If you Google my name or if you Google ISR training, um, you'll find pretty much everything you need to know. And that's also a blessing, right? That we we live in such a, a technical age that you can find me in five seconds and find out everything you need to know. So, um, awesome. easy, easy, mate. Thank you, um, also for for the opportunity. Um, I love I love what you're doing. I love the demographic that you're um, focusing on as well. Um, and I wish when I was in my early twenties or even late teens, I'd been exposed to this sort of education. Um, because I know we shouldn't look back, but it took me until the age of 29 almost 30 before i invested in my own personal development um not, not one cent until 29 years old um and i feel that i missed out on a lot of opportunities uh, so mate i think you're doing a great thing i appreciate it heaps hey for everyone listening two takeaways for me today and and you said it's there invest in yourself and i know grant cardone is very big on that too your first guest he speaks about it a lot but invest in yourself you are literally the the vehicle that you have to live this life in so continue to develop, continue to get better and continue to pump money and time into you. Um, and also remember that every connection or interaction that you have, think about that 60 seconds with integrity. And hey, when the book's on the shelves, go pick it up. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Tuckwood from ISR Training and the Swish Movement. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise. Cheers, Bradley. Appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Thank you.